friend of mine called me and said, hey, you want to start an HMO? I got $12 million of other people's money. So what the hell is an HMO? And so that's how I got into the HMO business. Got a lot less salary than I thought I would, but it was the beginning of a journey. And then I retired because I had made enough money. And then I went to work for New York Life because I was bored and <laughs> built that company out and sold that to Aetna and then you know, went to Cigna. So if you can get up every day doing something, I'm sure, Jason, this is what you love to do. Of course. You can't help but be successful. Absolutely. Welcome to Lead With Your Brand, the podcast that explores exceptional career success stories, inspiring and insightful personal brand journeys that answer the question, are you coffee or are you Starbucks? Fascinating conversations with leaders about their career breakthroughs from entertainment, tech, media, and more. You'll learn how they've turned up the volume on their brand to unlock success. Firsthand, uncensored, and real, as told by people who've been there. And plenty of inspiration and practical tools to help you lead with your brand every day as you drive towards your next career breakthrough. And now, here's your host, personal branding expert, diversity advocate, and keynote speaker, Jason Patria. Hey, everybody, Jason Patria here, and welcome to 2024, and can you believe it, season five of the Lead With Your Brand podcast. Now, I've got a question for you. Are you ready for the Lead With Your Brand New Year challenge? I know that you are, because 2024 is your year to own your career, turn up the volume, and lead with your brand to your next career breakthrough. As we kick off this new year, now is the perfect time for you to use our five steps of the Lead With Your Brand system to build your winning personal and professional brand. Now, here is how you can take action. The first thing is make sure that you have subscribed to the Lead With Your Brand podcast on Apple iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Then each week in January, I want you to listen to the show to learn about one of the five steps of the Lead With Your Brand system. Now, here's the cool part. After you listen to the show, visit jasonpatria.com slash new year, where you can grab your free downloadable worksheet so that you can take everything that you've heard and put it into action so that you can build your brand. Now, by the end of the month, you will have your very own draft of your own brand book. And this brand book is going to help be your guide to how you are going to show up throughout 2024 in your career and in your life. Now, in addition, you know that the Lead With Your Brand podcast is all about hearing from amazing executives, leaders, and changemakers from the worlds of tech, media, entertainment, and more. And we promise you a great slate of folks that are going to share their best career advice and personal branding insights. In fact, we are going to kick off the year with a special two-part interview with the amazing Mark Bertolini, who is the CEO of Oscar Health and who formerly served as the CEO of CVS Health and Aetna. But before we get to Mark, let's talk a little bit about your brand and kick off the Lead With Your Brand New Year Challenge. 
Now, people come up to me all of the time and ask me for coaching or say that they want to see me speak. And they say to me, Jason, I need to work with you because I need to build my brand because I don't have a brand. Well, guess what? What do you think I say to people who tell me that they don't have a brand? Well, you guessed it. Of course you have a brand because you have a brand. They have a brand. I have a brand. We all have a brand. The real question is, are you consciously, competently showing up and leading with the brand that you want or Are you on autopilot and being defined by everything around you without making choices? Now, that's why I call it lead with your brand, because at the end of the day, you don't want to have a brand that's defined by your job title, because guess what? There's probably hundreds, if not thousands of other people at your company or in your industry that all have the same job title, and you don't want to be a commodity. That's right. You want to be a super premium brand. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, but Jason, brands are for products and experiences. Well, guess what? You are a product. You are an experience. When people look to you and say they want you on their team, they want you for an open position, they are evaluating you as a product and an experience. So what we need to start doing is taking a brand marketer's toolkit and using it for ourselves. Now, I love Starbucks coffee, as I know all of you do. In fact, I'm already going through my withdrawal from not having my red holiday cup Starbucks there. But I love to think about Starbucks as a great way to learn about brand. Because at the end of the day, Coffee is one of the world's oldest commodities that as human beings, we have traded on markets. And you know this, a commodity quite simply is all about saying your product is the same as their product is the same as my product. So I'm going to go to whoever is going to give me the best deal because at the end of the day, it's just coffee. And if you can give it to me for the best price, That's who I'm buying from. But then we think about that after thousands of years of trading coffee, right? Starbucks came in 50 years ago and they actually created a brand and an experience. Now, it's not really just by happenstance. I mean, you can read the great book all about it, but you probably know one of the co-founders of Starbucks came back in and really wanted to transition them into a full coffee house. And one of the things that he wanted to do was make it like an experience that he recalled from when he did foreign exchange in college in Italy. He wanted Starbucks to be a place where, quite simply, everybody knew your name and that you came in and it smelled like amazing coffee and that you knew the people and you could see them creating your coffee and it was a place to hang out all day and be part of the community. And guess what? 50 years later, Starbucks still has that but designed on scale, right? Because when you think about it, Starbucks is at the end of the day a fast food restaurant. 
but we never think of it as fast food or even quick serve because they're not trying to turn tables. No, they've got comfortable furniture and electrical outlets and free Wi-Fi. In fact, Let's face it, we've all gone and hung out at Starbucks all day and done some work. In fact, I know amazing entrepreneurs and folks that work remotely that use Starbucks as their office because that's the environment that they've created. And when you think about it, almost every Starbucks has a restroom, right? They're welcoming you in. And by the way, you know what? They don't have boring commodity type of names, right? Because they don't have employees. They have baristas, right? They don't have small, medium, and large. They have tall and grande and venti and trentas, right? They don't have a grab-and-go food section. They actually call it a mercat because guess what, folks? They've created their own unique Latin root language because that's what great brands do. They create their own language. They create their own experience. And how do we repay them? Well, at the end of the day, when we are constantly complaining about the cost of a gallon of gas, you pay more for six ounces of Starbucks coffee than you do for a gallon of gas that gets your butt to pick up your kids from school, gets you commuting to work so you can get a paycheck, and helps you be enabled to have the freedom around your life. But we never complain about the cost of a Starbucks while we're always complaining about the price of gas. And quite simply, that's what it's all about. Starbucks has taken one of the world's oldest commodities and turned it into a super premium brand that we are willing to do more for, wait in line for, contribute more, and pay more for. So that's my question to you as we kick off this Lead With Your Brand New Year Challenge. In your career, are you coffee or are you Starbucks? Are you a boring old commodity that's completely interchangeable with somebody else because you're a single sign-on number or an employee ID number or you're defined by the department you work for or maybe the boss that you have? Or are you that super premium brand that people are willing to wait in line outside of your office or cubicle because they want your advice? People are waiting in line because they want you to join their project team. People are waiting in line because they have an open job for you. And guess what? People are willing to pay a premium price for your salary because, quite frankly, a lot of people could fill the job but no one could be that super premium brand that can do the job in the way that you are. So I want to make sure that you aren't that boring old commodity like coffee. Instead, you must be that super premium brand like Starbucks. So let's go through the five steps to the lead with your brand system, and then we will break down this week's step. The first thing is you've got to super serve your super fans by defining your career audience. The second step is you've got to be uniquely you by knowing what you stand for today. The third step is you've got to supersize your brand by refining who you want to be. The fourth step is you've got to keep up your signature image. And finally, the fifth step is you've got to promote the super premium you. 
But you know, here in the Lead With Your Brand New Year Challenge, we're going to take each week and break down one of those steps and make sure that you go to jasonpatria.com slash new year so that you can download week one's tool, which is super serve your super fans by defining your career audience. Now, here is what great marketers know. When you try and be something to everyone, you are really nothing to no one. Let me repeat that. When you try and be something to everyone, you are really nothing to no one because it is all about knowing who your audience is. And more importantly, you've got to super serve your super fans. You can't just spread yourself so thin that you become a commodity because you're trying to appeal to every single person out there. Now, here's how I want you to start thinking about defining your career audience. We've got to move beyond demographics and really think about psychographics. It's the difference between the data points and, more importantly, the way people behave. Now, let me give you a great example. You know that I spent over 25 years working in Hollywood, and one of the favorite things that I got to do was executive business transformation consulting. And one of my favorite clients was Bravo. Now, of course, you all know Bravo is the buzzy, buzzy pop culture network uh, that's also available on Peacock and the home of the Real Housewives franchise. I had a chance to work with the amazing team over at Bravo when they were really transforming from sort of an obscure arts network to then having a singular hit called Queer Eye for the Straight Guy and then realizing that their path to growth was really to create an entire network and not be defined by one show. Now, at the time, Bravo didn't have a whole ton of money or resources, but they knew they needed to grow their audience in order to stay relevant and actually be sustainable as a business. So what they decided to do was say, who is it that we are going to super serve? Who are the super fans that already love our early bits of programming? Now, it could be super easy for them to just look at demographics and say, oh, we're trying to go after women who are 18 to 34 years old or 18 to 49. But you know what? That's who everyone was chasing. And that was maybe just an obvious as to what advertisers needed. Instead, they said, Who are our true super fans? Who are those viewers that love us and talk about us on, you know, bulletin boards, right? This is kind of in the pre-social media world. And what they ultimately came up with was that they super served two types of super fans, the wills and graces of the world and PTA trendsetters. You heard it right. The wills and graces of the world, those cool uh, gay urban professionals and their straight best friends that loved going to the movies and Broadway and art openings uh, and brunch, but still loved a little bit of Perez Hilton gossip and those PTA trendsetters, those cool moms that would never show up in a beat-up old minivan to pick their kids up at carpool or show up with mommy jeans on when they were clearly out of style. Now, 
When I talk about those super fans, those audience avatars, you can think in your head, you are thinking that you know people that are just like those wills and graces or those PTA trendsetters, or you're even saying, hey, that's who I am, because it's really beyond the demographic. It's really about how they behave. Well, guess what? When they identified those super fans, they were able to super serve those super fans with their programming. So if you look at that original Bravo programming, things like Top Chef, Project Runway, The Real Housewives of Orange County, those were all about the intersection of shows that super served both of those audiences, and the rest is history. Because really quickly, they were able to break into the top 20 of cable networks, then the top 10, and then the top five. And now we're all addicted to their shows and are watching them all of the time. So now you're thinking, Jason, how does this work? How do I have that? I don't have an audience. I don't have Nielsen or streaming data to figure that out. No, you don't. But you've got your eyes and you've got your ears. I want you to think about who are the super fans in your career, both currently and historically. I want you to grab a pad of Post-its and I want you to write down the names of 20, 25, 30, maybe even 50 people that you would consider your super fans. These are people that rave about you. They talk about you. They recommend you to other jobs. Even if you haven't worked with them in a long time, they still reach out to you. They comment on your things on LinkedIn. I want you to write down their names and I want you to stick those post-its up on a wall. Then I want you to group them together and find two, three, maybe four clusters, but don't do demographics. This is not like a list of people that were your manager and a list of people that were coworkers and a list of people that were internal clients. No, 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 none of that. Instead, I want you to group them by the value they see in you. Maybe they have unique wants, needs, and cares. And I want you to come up with a label. Now, just think about this. When you went to high school, you saw these types of avatars all of the times, right? These were the jocks and the cheerleaders, the theater nerds, the tech geeks, the uh, teacher's pets, the stoners, right? They were all these sort of different cliques or avatars that came in. I want you to figure out who those are for you so that you can build the rest of your brand on it. Now, make sure to go to jasonpatria.com slash new year where you can download our step number one, define your career audience so that you can super serve your super fans. Well, I am super excited about our first guest of 2024. It is Mark Bertolini, the chief executive officer of Oscar Health, the first health insurance company built around a full stack technology platform and a relentless focus on serving its members. Now, Mark has so much amazing experience and so many stories. This is the first of a two-part episode, so make sure you tune in next week to hear the conclusion. Now, prior to joining Oscar, Mark served as the co-chief executive officer of Bridgewater Associates, the world's largest and most successful hedge fund, managing approximately $150 billion in assets for sophisticated institutional investors around the globe. 
Mark is also a national healthcare thought leader and the former chairman and CEO of Aetna Inc. Now, he stepped down as chairman and CEO and served as the director of CVS Health Corporation upon the completion of CVS Health's acquisition of Aetna, which was valued at $69 billion. Throughout Mark's tenure at Aetna, he led the company's transition from a traditional health insurance company to a consumer-oriented healthcare company focused on delivering holistic, integrated care in local communities. We'll be back in just a moment with part one of my conversation with Mark Bertolini. For over 25 years, Jason has coached, trained, and developed thousands of leaders and executives, helping them achieve their next career breakthrough. He's a featured speaker at global conferences and companies to help everyone bring their best authentic self to work, show their value, and lead with their brand every day. Get more tips and tools at leadwithyourbrand.com. And we are back with part one of my two-part conversation with Oscar Health CEO, Mark Bertolini. Mark, what is going on today? Usual day of Zoom calls and and uh, Google Meet calls and taking the dog for a walk. So lots of fun stuff. So Mark, talk to me. What is new and exciting at Oscar Health these days? Oh, we're having a good year. We've been profitable in uh, the three of our first three in all three of our first three quarters, uh, and um, and are looking forward to having a great year and set up nicely for next year. The team is uh, gelling nicely, and and we're having fun. Most important thing, right? And and fun is the most important thing. So, talk to me as a CEO. How is it that you create fun for your teams and your customers? Well, for for the you know the customer is the center of everything we do, and so we're we're all about improving the member experience. If our investments in technology or new products or or in uh, new approaches to the market don't improve the member experience, we don't do them. Um, so it's all about that. And so the idea of being able to be creative about how to improve the member experience. Our NPS is above sixty. The industry wow. average is at zero. Um, so we have a bit of an advantage and, um, and we want to keep that advantage by continually seeking for ways to make what is a drudgery for most people signing up and using their health insurance a lot easier to use. And And so that's the fun of it. It's just the sitting back and talking about how we could do that and what are the unique ways we could approach the market. Absolutely. And so, Mark, I know for you, Oscar Health is really all about sort of the intersection of healthcare and technology. So for those who aren't familiar with Oscar Health, tell us a little bit about what makes your platforms so unique and differentiated. The industry operates on 50-year-old platforms, mm. um, um, some, some usually some variant of Health Edge, which is what was built 50 years ago. Um, Oscar's platform is new front to back. We built our own platform. Um, we have one set of data. So we have one version of the truth. There's only one Mark Bertolini in the system. Um, <laughs> you know, there's not multiple versions of Mark Bertolini. And as a result, we are able to very much focus on this member experience. But secondly, probably more importantly, we can use large language models to our best advantage. Mm. Um, you know, in the, in the AI world, large language models are the machines that make things work behind the scene. 
And these large language models are highly reliant on the quality of the data. And so if you have multiple versions of the truth or multiple databases, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to find it very kludgy or hard um, to get your system to effectively run. Um, Ours isn't that way. And as a result, we've been implementing every week new large language models to make the process more efficient, to make it more member um, friendly, um, and to find ways to reduce costs so that our premiums don't have to rise so high. Mm. Which I know is a huge thing for us as healthcare consumers out there. Now, now, Mark, one of the reasons why we wanted to have you on the show is because you have just this long career in multiple CEO uh, positions. You know, certainly you were the CEO of Aetna and stewarded Mm -hmm. the the acquisition by CVS uh, back in the day. As you look back over your career, what have been some of the key moments for you that helped you level up and not only get to where you are today, but really get to that CEO role? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, it's a, um, it's a, I would call my journey, Jason, I would call it a random walk. Um, <laughs> and so um, um, I started out um, working on the assembly line, got in a fight with my union steward because I changed my work rules and he told me I couldn't do that without going to the union committee. And I pointed at him as I was standing there in my overalls and hard helmet and boots. And he's standing there in his right shirt, red tie and khaki pants. How do I get your job? Uh, and he said, kid, you need a degree. So that's why I went back to school. I flunked out of college twice. Wow. So I went back to school just to become a union steward. And as I got out of graduate school, a friend of mine was studying for the GMATs, the graduate management aptitude test. I helped him with it. He said, you should take the exam. I did place in the top percentile in the country and got these invitations from graduate schools of business. And when I went to visit them, the one that mattered to me was Cornell because it was in the country. It was very cool and laid back. Um, and it was one of those kind of places. And so my, um, my, uh, my journey there was, you know, what will I learn? And, yeah. and, and I, I placed out of all of my core exemption classes. So I took a double major, one in finance and one in healthcare. Um, and and as it came time to look for a job, I was top of my class in finance. I was looking to go to work on Wall Street. So I was yeah. talking to Drexel Burnham Lambert, all these other firms, these accounting firms. And a friend of mine called me and said, hey, you want to start an HMO? I got $12 million <laughs> of other people's money. So what the hell is an HMO? <laughs> and so that's how I got into the HMO business. Got a lot less salary than I thought I would, but it was the beginning of a journey and then I retired because I had made enough money. And then I went to work for New York Life because I was bored <laughs> and built that company out and sold that to Aetna and then you know, went to Cigna. So if you can get up every day doing something, I'm sure, Jay Zen, this is what you love to do. Of course. You can't help but be successful. Absolutely. So after my first job, I never looked for a job again. It was a phone call, me saying, hey, you know, I fix broken things and build new things. I don't make trains run on time. I can do it, but I'll be mischievous if I do it. I'll try and fix it even though it's running well, <laughs> and then I'll break it. And so so the idea was, you know, um, people would call me and say, and I'd say, you know, I can help you with that. And then I'd move to another job. So all my jobs after my first one were largely connections with people and phone calls where they said, hey, I need your help. Yeah. So you're a fixer. I'm a fixer. 
and a builder of new things. Yeah. And and so, Mark, talk to me about this notion of networking, because people ask me all of the time. They're like, oh, I don't like I don't know how to just break the ice or I don't know how to reach out to someone. What's your secret sauce to reaching out and getting people to, you know, go break bread with you and then call you? It, the easiest thing to do is just ask them. Mm. Call them up. And so I always say to people when I meet them like with groups, like I do things for World 50 and I talk yeah. with groups of CEOs and, and other groups. And, and I say to them, you know, if you want, if you want to connect with me, just call me. And invariably less, like less than two people will call me after that because they don't, they're afraid. They don't, you know, they think you're busy or you won't have time for them. No, it's, you know, just, just call me. And, and, and that's what I did. I just called people and yeah, I got no's, but I got a lot more yeses. From people who thought, well, here's a young person trying to make their way through the world, courageous enough to call, yeah, um, and curious enough to learn, and, and that's what I always say. The two traits I look for in a potential leader, I tell them, I call them the two C's: curiosity and courage. Mm. The curiosity to continue to learn every day, and I do, and the courage to actually act. So, curiosity and courage, and and I love that you said courage is that you actually have to take action. So, you know, how, how is it that you have created a bias for action in your own life? I, I came to learn very early on in my career that 99 out of a hundred people in a room want somebody else to make the decision. Ah. And so if you make the decision (laughs) and you put a good process around it to make sure it's the right decision, because if you look at all the, some of the greatest companies, they never started out with, the end product, right? Yeah. Apple, Meta, all these companies, they never started out with the original, the, the final product that's now selling. They continue to evolve. And if you make a decision and move forward and then gather information, monitor outcomes, and then adapt, you're going to find the right answer sooner or later versus waiting for perfect information, have the world pass you by and miss the opportunity. Yeah. And now you talked about giving good phone. So, so yeah. what is what is giving good phone look and sound like for you? Listening, and then offering feedback. Mm. That's that matters. Um, and 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 so you know, um, if you don't know, say you don't know. Um, if you do know, or you have a point of view, offer it. And it's this notion that you know we're all in this together, and this is the part of um, the management process that I run is that part of it is to keep track of things, but the other part of it is to build a common heuristic, a common mental model about how the business works. And if we have a common mental model, not all of us need to be in the room to make a decision. People know Mm. what to do next. And so this continually building of the heuristic, which is sort of my daily thing. I always want to learn more. I'm a voracious reader. I'm interested in lots of things. I've started up companies that I have no no know nothing about that are doing are very successful. <laughs> it's really this idea of being curious enough to learn something and then being courageous enough to move ahead. And you know, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. It's when I was sitting in my son's hospital room while he was fighting for his life, mm. that was a bad day. Yeah. When you're in a company and it's a bad week or a bad quarter or the business is struggling. You're not going to die from that one. It's okay. We'll all survive. And if you learn from it, you're going to be better for the next opportunity. Yeah. 
And now, Mark, I know you you just mentioned uh, that critical moment with your son, and I know you've spoken about that before, but tell us a little bit about how that situation kind of impacted your life, but also impacted you as a leader. It impacted my life in the way that because the disease had never been cured and there wasn't a cure for it, and that everybody from it had died, that it was me that mattered, not some miracle cure or some miracle drug. Mm. That I had to engage in a way that was different and be constantly advocating for my son. I literally lived in his hospital room with him for over a year. Mm. And we, you know, the only time I left was to go work out at the gym across the road. And this was in Massachusetts in Boston Children's Hospital. And, you know, and I was a constant pain in the side of the people managing his care. What did we learn today? <laughs> what more can I learn? How can I help? And I got two drugs approved for him um, while I was there in his room with him. And they saved his life. Mm. and 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 then I gave my left kidney a year and a half later. And so wow. what I learned was personal engagement and intensity matters. It's not just standing. It's not being wealthy. It's not being smart. It's you have to give of yourself. And so my son trusted me. It was an experimental procedure that we did. Um, I trusted him that he would fight the good fight. And and we won that battle. Um, and then the other lesson I learned is that once the healthcare system is done with the acute illness you have, yeah, they could care less about what happens to you next. Yeah, you know how do you recover? When I broke my neck extreme skiing, and you know I was in a coma for a week. When I woke up, as soon as they stabilized my neck, you're good to go. Well, wait a minute, I got a life. I got things I love to do. Um, you know how do I get those back? Well, you know, work on it, or you shouldn't do those anymore. And I still ride motorcycles or road bikes, and I still ski. And none of those things were good ideas for me to do when I left, when I, when I, when I left the hospital. <laughs> hey, if it didn't kill me the first time, maybe I'll get lucky again the second time. Yeah, and 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 so I know both of these, uh, you know, these moments in your life are sort of key to what you talk about in your book, which is mission-driven leadership, my journey as a radical capitalist. So talk to us a little bit about, you know, what does it mean for you to be a radical capitalist? To challenge the norms, not accept the way things are done, and to find new pathways forward. So for example, the biggest part of that book is what I did for my employees when I raised their minimum wage from 12 to $16 an hour. And if they were under 300% of the federal poverty level, I eliminated their healthcare costs as long mm. as they engaged in wellness programs. And the idea was, you know, put money in their pocket, walking around money um, as one former president used to call it and, you know, and change their lives. And so we increased the personal disposable income of 7,100 employees by 27%. Wow. And just by that change. And, and 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 to watch them evolve and the free hugs I got in the hallway when I walked down the hall because they were able to not work two jobs and they got their kids off of Medicaid and you know they were no longer using food stamps and they were able to send their kids to college was amazing. And for me, the amount of money was not, you know, given my view of the world, wasn't that big, but for them it was everything. Yeah. And 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 so to be other aware enough to know how impactful it was for them and to be joyful about it um, was was a great thing. And I actually, I had people throughout the whole organization saying, we're proud that we're doing this because we're better people as a result. And that's what matters. Yeah. And obviously that's all about 
relationship and driving engagement and taking care of people. As a CEO, when you put on the flip side, how did that actually help you drive the financial health and sustainability of the organization? So a couple of things, just basic accounting. Um, In basic accounting, um, when we invest in a machine, we get to depreciate it over three to five years, and we can wait for the returns to show up. When we invest in a human, it has to be expensed immediately. (laughs) And so it's nuts, right? Yeah. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. I mean, you know, we treat machines better than we treat people. (laughs) Not good, right? And so, you know, how do we think about that, number one? Number two, you know, what can we do to change that dynamic in talking about the importance of our people? Because all CEOs say, oh, my most important assets are my people. And then they treat them like crap. And so, (laughs) or, you know, interchange them. And so it's just not good. You know, when the Donald Trump tax cut came through, most corporations gave people maybe a $500 or $1,000 bonus. Yeah. And then they bought more stock back than in any time in corporate history. Yep. So that they can increase their share price. And that was heinous. That was a moment when corporate America could have stepped up and say, our people really do matter. And instead, they lined their own pockets. Yeah. It was a shameful moment for American business. Yeah. And, and so that's so there's the basics of how we operate. There's the ethos of what we're trying to create in the long run. And for us, what we found is that we built a new model inside the company that mattered, a trust model. So in order to get trust, you have to give it. It's like love. You don't get yeah. love unless you give it. Yeah. And so our ability to trust people and say, we're going to invest in you so that you can invest in our customer relationships is an important get, is an important investment. And what happened was we had employees after that first instance, we had employees coming back with suggestions about how we could be better for each other, doubling the tuition reimbursement, helping to pay back student loans. We had pet therapy in all of our buildings where people would line up to see dogs, cats, rabbits, and gerbils. I would not let people bring in the mini ponies. That was the only time I said no. That's what I heard. And why no to the mini pony after everything else? Just think about it. (laughs) Just, I mean, who's going to take care of that, right? Who's going to take care of that? So um, there's that one employee that was disengaged, I'm sure. Yeah, right. And so, um, and so, um, and that, and that, you know, and all of those things, we, we um, built um, um, funds where we could take our extra PTO and put it in a bank for somebody who needed more PTO because they had a family crisis going on. We moved employees out of harm's way with tornadoes or hurricanes and moved their pets, their whole family to places of safety so that they could be okay. And all of that was just based on my idea which triggered a whole ability inside the company to think differently about, oh, we could take care of each other. What a novel concept. Yeah. And, and then I had employees come to me and saying, hey, Mark, there are five things we could answer on the phone that are the most troublesome for our members if you just let us do it. Mm. And so we gave them a budget and six months to show us how they would do it. They spent less than half their budget. It increased employee, a member retention, employee satisfaction, and it was like, you know, why do Italians have flat foreheads? It's like, oh, you know, Maron. Uh, we should have done this a long time ago. <laughs> right? I mean, novel idea, investing in people and letting the people that do the work help solve the problem, right? Yep. Boy, you know, how many times are we going to learn that lesson? So, Mark, why do you think that is such a 
tough thing for leaders to do. Why can't leaders let go of that? Because the thing that we do when we get in, so no matter who you are, when you get stressed, you fall back on your very basic behaviors, Mm. right? And in the business world, the thing you do when you're in financial trouble is you cut costs. Mm. The most sure thing you can do in cutting costs is impact employees. Yep. It's the one you can touch. You can do that today. I'm going to lay off a thousand employees. And, and the hardest thing to do is say, I'm going to invest in my employees. They're going to be more productive. They're going to take better care of my customers. That's going to run, create higher customer retention, more revenue. And I'll ultimately see it in my earnings a few years down the road. Mm. Nobody wants to take that risk because yeah. you know what? CEOs are afraid of losing their jobs. And I have to tell you, I never thought I'd be a CEO. And when I got to be a CEO, I realized it wasn't what I thought it was going to be, even though I sat next to the guy for five years. Yeah. I was like, holy shit, who gave this job? <laughs> and he said to me, he said, Mark, after six months, he said, Mark, what do you think? I said, Ron, I have to tell you, you made me change my behavior. You made me wear suits and ties every day. You made me shave. You wouldn't let me ride my motorcycles to work. And you gave me this beautiful gift wrap job called the CEO job. And I opened it up. And it was a box full of fetid shit. <laughs> and he started laughing at me and said, you got it a lot quicker than I did. <laughs> so, all these CEOs that want to keep their job because it's so important is an economic decision that in the long run isn't worth it. Yeah, You need to make the job rewarding in its own way. And you need to take risks. So see, there is no such thing as avoiding all risk. Yeah. We're, I mean, you just look at the universe. I mean, there's all such sorts of stuff hurtling around one day that may get us. Yeah. If, they, if you thought about that, you'd never move. You'd just be sitting in the fetal position all day long. What our job <laughs> is as leaders is to assess the risk. What is the risk sitting in front of us? How do we think about it? What can we do to allow us to move forward with it? And how do we manage it? And if we believe we can manage our way through it, let's go. Yeah. Don't run away. And and so you said, you know, when you got that CEO role, it was like not what you expected. What was the biggest surprise to you, even though you had been sitting next door to it for a long time? So and as a chief operating officer, I was the chief operating officer of the company. So as the chief operating officer and president of the company, I knew that when I called a meeting, there are two powers you have. And inside an organization. When you call a meeting, everybody has to, when you call a meeting, everybody has to come. And when you set the agenda, you talk about what you want to talk about. Mm. Those are the two most important powers of an executive, setting the agenda, convening the people. Yeah. When you go into the external world, you don't set the agenda. (laughs) You don't convene meetings. Or to convene meetings is not based on your positional power, but it's based on your ability to engage people at a level that matters to them, Mm. not to you. And the agenda has to be set based on what's relevant to them. So I was out talking to, you know, um, people in DC about the affordable care act, you know, a year after it was passed and I'm walking around talking to people and they're all looking at me and go, Hey, that was last year. Go away. And so, you know, I'm sitting there thinking about, you know, what could make healthcare matter? Well, if you look at the budget deficit, a huge part of it is Medicare and Medicaid. Yeah. 
And so I said, you know, hey, well, let's talk about Medicare and Medicaid within the context of the federal deficit and how we can change it. And that helped, you know, with Maya McGinnis and Dave Cody from, um, I can't remember his name of his company, but um, um, we we put together a thing called Fix the Debt back in 2010, 2011 to try and get the debt right. Um, and of course, it didn't work. Um, um, but we raised a lot of money to hold a lot of meetings for no no real good result. But in the end, analysis, um, it was a good idea. It was a risk worth taking. Yeah, absolutely. Now, now, Mark, let's talk a little bit about you know your upbringing. When you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? Uh, I just wanted to. Are you on the edge of your seat or what? I just love my conversation with Mark and make sure that you tune in next week for part two of my conversation with Oscar Health CEO. Plus, we will be breaking down step number two of the lead with your brand new year challenge, which is being uniquely you by knowing what you stand for today. And we'll be back in just a few moments with my final thoughts. Are you tired of not being recognized for your work? Are you ready to rise above the rest and accelerate to the next level? The Lead With Your Brand Career Breakthrough Mentoring Program will help you take control of your career, develop your own unique brand, and catapult you to a whole new level of success. You are a top performer, and the Lead With Your Brand Career Breakthrough Mentoring Program is what you need to get you there. Visit leadwithyourbrand.com to learn how. What an amazing conversation with Oscar Health CEO, Mark Bertolini. You know, I just thought that he had so much great stuff to say, but I loved when he talked about his career as not being a traditional career path, but rather a random walk. And as I talked to Mark, I really realized, of course he could have a random walk because he was so true to himself and so on brand throughout his career that he let that really guide him through a whole series of things that he could have never really anticipated, but he was able to seize the opportunity because he knew who he was and he could show up and deliver in a unique way that only Mark could do. Now, you've got to tune in next week for part two of my great conversation with Mark Bertolini. Now, all you need to do is make sure that you are following us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And each week of January, make sure that you tune into the show so that you can get our five steps to lead with your brand. Now, you can play along with our Lead With Your Brand New Year Challenge by visiting us at jasonpatria.com slash new year, where each week you'll also be able to download your worksheet so that you can put every single thing into action. Now, make sure you're following me on social media. I'm at Jason Patria on all platforms. And make sure to connect with me on LinkedIn, where I share tons of tips and tricks on how you can lead with your brand to your next career breakthrough. Now, most of all, and most importantly of all, we're kicking off the Lead With Your Brand New Year Challenge. And the premise here is that in your career, you absolutely cannot be a boring old commodity like coffee. You've got to show up and be the uniquely branded super premium brand like Starbucks. Starbucks.
You've been listening to Lead With Your Brand, the podcast that explores and uncovers exceptional career success stories and inspiring personal brand journeys with your host, personal branding expert, diversity advocate, and keynote speaker, Jason Patria. Remember to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit us at leadwithyourbrand.com.